0: blackscholarspublishing.com
1: That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there.
2: We are too high in the building. Uh. A Still an icon living. Welcome to the Black Scholars Podcast. I am your host, Leonard Andre Wilson Jr. Hope you guys are having a good school year thus far. We are about seven weeks in at my school district. Looking forward to fall break, as many of us are who start super early. This is episode 11. I want to thank you guys for your support. Thank you for your emails, your DMs. I appreciate all of it. This particular episode features Tanisha Boyd of Mobile County Public Schools. She's originally from Detroit but she now works in Alabama in a rural area very similar to myself i'm also from the midwest and i also work in what they would consider a rural area nevertheless enjoy the show ah don't forget black scholar teas are available at blackscholarspublishing.com you can subscribe to this podcast via itunes spotify Stitcher and Google Play or even Podbean Episode eleven. Let's get into it.
1: I got him, Bonara. I just had dinner with D-Obama, what did you do? Hop up on Twitter talking about the stuff you don't do. Rock off a lawn, cause that is what you gon' do. Savvy out of New Balance, some styling like it's O2. God with the pro boss in the good do. Ball like it's good man, watch you can come through. Boy, at the farms, at the farms, I'm the city voice. At the farms, at the farms. Why should you talking to one respect respected by the OGs? Rappers was wearing garbage I put them on the supreme. I got no prize from anybody on the TV. Cause I got some partners from Chopper 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 City. Hey, really? Code to my City, Code to Samai County. Who's messing with me? I was selling sneakers, I was selling CDs. Now I'm selling streams and women's dreams that need me. I be seeing things that used to be official. So I speak to God and tell him, please forgive me. I've been ungrateful, I'm thankful. I've been ungrateful, I'm thankful. I've been ungrateful but thankful. I've been ungrateful but thankful.
2: So let's go ahead and get into it. Welcome to the Black Scholars Podcast. Um please introduce yourself to everyone. First and last name. Um let them know where you teach, what you teach, how long you've been teaching, what brought you into teaching. Just overall, just a background story of you and your educational career.
0: Sure. My name is Tanisha Boyd. I have been teaching now 17 years. I teach now eighth grade English language arts. Um, I'm currently working and um, have been here for almost seven years in Mobile, Alabama. I teach at Lott Middle School, which is um, in a rural area. Um, Initially, I started teaching. College freshman and sophomore English, and when I decided to become certified, I was teaching in Detroit, uh, pretty much right in the heart of it, at a charter school, which was an experience in and of itself. Um, I decided to start teaching, which is probably not the typical reason. I had plans to be a doctor, and and, um, I was going to make a lot of money and buy cute stuff. And then I took uh, chemistry and physics, and it told me that my path would be different. (laughs) So I um, (laughs) I had to regroup and figure out what I was good at. And um, I ended up doing a type of summer mentoring program with some students. And I realized that they couldn't speak or write in just basic English. And um, I started wondering what happened. I started subbing. Um, while I was working as an instructional assistant as well, and um, decided that I would get certified to teach English and do secondary education. And that's what I've been doing ever since.
2: Awesome. And so well, let's go into this first. Um, I also teach eighth grade English. I also have sixth grade and seventh grade Uh, Because I've got the gifted kids or gifted students. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm just going to be honest. Out of the three groups, the eighth grade group is my least favorite. That's two years in a row that I have not really enjoyed teaching the eighth grade English students. I think it's because I come from a high school background and I've dealt with ninth graders before. And so Mm -hmm. I see a huge similarity in characteristics and traits between 8th graders and ninth graders. And it's just, it's really hard to describe for anyone who's never taught either age group. Um, They're interesting. It's an interesting bunch. How's that going for you?
0: So I'm the opposite. I love 8th grade. I am not a fan of 6th and 7th grade um, because they are very different in each group. 6th grade Mm -hmm. is still trying to figure out what it means to be an independent learner Mm -hmm. and have, you know, have that responsibility thrust up on them. And they're still very emotional. Yeah. Seventh grade, it's a weird time. Hormones start to kick in. They're happy Monday at eight o'clock and Monday at 12 (laughs) o'clock, their whole life fell apart. Exactly. And by one o'clock, they're all back together again. Exactly. Eighth grade, I find to be, they are challenging, but I find them to be more interesting in the sense that um, they figured it out and they recognize that within the school, um, if it's a true middle school, they are the top dogs. They're the seniors, so to speak, and so yep. they like that whole. I'm, um, you know, I'm older. I know more. You know, we're leaving here, and so for me, academically, it gives. I think it gives teachers um, a little more leeway. You have a little more power over them because they recognize they won't move away. You know, they won't move on unless they can get it right with you. So I actually enjoy them and listening to their ways of thinking. I love it.
2: Well, let me clarify. I do. You're absolutely right. I do indeed enjoy them academically. That's never been an issue. You know, those are my seventh graders last year. Academically, I can go farther with them, uh, especially Mm -hmm. in Uh, discussions when we do you know the the seminars and the literature circles we can Mm -hmm. take a theme or a motif and take it to another level um, in that particular group maybe I mean behavior wise with eighth grade and it's only for me it's only a couple who Mm -hmm. they're they're very uh disinterested disengaged and that's not uncommon dealing with a gifted group Um, There's usually one or two in there that they call them uh, underachievers or lower achievers, um, despite the fact that they are intellectually capable of doing a high, high level of work. Um, And that's really what I'm trying to figure out. Um, But I can take an example. So if I give an example of symbolism. And they will run with it like that. They want that to be the discussion for the entire class. And it's a good discussion, but it's not actually aligned to standard. Right. Like it's not actually a lesson plan. It just was an example. So, yeah, that's that's the issue I'm having with eighth grade. I I 100 percent agree with you academically. You can go a lot farther with them.
0: I think they like to push the envelope a little bit. Um, They. Sometimes, like I I have taught seniors in um, high school and Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes they forget, you know, that this year is all the other years were important prior. But it's really important now that we, you know, align ourselves with, you know, the expectations of procedures and policies and, you know, follow through and the responsibility and accountability. They seem to let those things slip sometimes. Um, because I I think because they're in that senior position and so they can be challenging in that way. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said, it's always just a couple. I have two honors um, classes within my day, and they are leveled, you know, level one and level two. And um, I see that you know there's always one or two that will become disengaged, and not always, but sometimes I found when I, you know, look at test scores and I kind of engage them in conversation, they are so far beyond what we're talking about right. that they don't want to be engaged in what and what's going on because they are thinking differently and um, they don't necessarily know what that is. But I found that I have to do some pretty quick work um, in my with my honors students. To kind of capture those kids, because Uh if not, they will become a nightmare for you.
2: Right. Absolutely. And uh, one of the methods I've used to kind of turn that around, I'm thinking of one eighth grader specifically, is uh, I've basically turned them into my assistant. Mm. And uh, mm-hmm. I have him grade papers, I have him, you know, collect papers, I have him distribute papers, and that little piece of uh, autonomy has, you know, kind of switched, you know, his disengagement, where he's a little bit more engaged now, and he's actually starting to do his work, but he's still, he, his particular story would take an entire podcast episode, because mm. he's surrounded by um, underachievers, uh, mm-hmm. he's surrounded by he has brothers who have been in and out of jail um, wow. and the mom who is being um, pulled by too many different people and she can only do, but so much. He doesn't know mm-hmm. his dad. And yeah, it's just, there's, there's outside things that are factoring to his, his academic uh, motivation right now. Um, but he's a good kid nevertheless. So, right. But yeah, you like you said, you got to figure it out. You got to figure it out cuz we can't co- go the whole year with him disengaged and not living up to his expectations. So.
0: Right. Now exactly. you
2: also mentioned uh you work in a rural area. Um I can argue that I probably do so as well. Um of course, everyone knows I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, but I'm mm-hmm. actually right outside of Memphis in Millington, which is a naval base area. Um mm-hmm. And there's a lot of lot of horses out there, a lot of uh, country land and farmland out there. It's mm-hmm. pretty pretty underdeveloped still, so I'm pretty sure it still qualifies as rural because it's definitely not urban. Um, how has that? And are you originally from Detroit or? Yes. So you're from Detroit. So you're from the Midwest. I'm actually originally from Milwaukee, Midwest. Um, so Detroit should be bigger than Milwaukee but I've been to Detroit before of course you've probably been in Chicago before so yeah. coming from a metropolitan you know mid to large size city then coming down south where you're down south now and I'm down south now and we're both working in rural uh schools how's that transition been for you has there was there a culture shock how are you able to able to overcome that?
0: Um, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, I am originally from Detroit. My mom moved to Alabama when I was 10 and I left when I was 20 and I came back uh, seven, seven years now. Um, and so I didn't, you know, as a child, there are certain things that you don't understand about where you live. You just know that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But I knew that Detroit was um, nowhere near what this is. And after going back home and staying there and then coming back um, and having worked in an urban school where, uh, you know, every school has their own issues. But when I accepted the position, um, culture shock is probably an understatement (laughs) Um, because, you know, you do theory and you watch the news and you talk to other teachers and you go to conferences and you hear about their situations. But when you are placed in the midst of something that you have no no tangible connection to, um, it it does something to your your whole psyche. Um, When we lived in Mobile, we lived in a suburban area. So, you know, stores, cars, trees, pavement. Um, My school is literally across the street from a cattle ranch. Oh, wow. Many of my students, I've had students tell me, you know, Miss Boyd, I live... Behind the woods. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> and it it means that there are no power lines that run that far. So they're on generators. Um, their connection to the outside world. I'm not saying that they're, you know, in the stone ages, but things that seem the norm, um, even with regard to what's going on in current news, they're almost oblivious to it. Um, because it's not a it's not a focal point in their in their small community, whether it be their family or their little neighborhood. Um, now, they are on top of music and fashion, but I think that comes from coming into the school because other kids trickle in, and so they they share that information. Um, but i I cried a lot in the principal's office my first year because I didn't understand why it wasn't important to do homework or to come to school on a regular basis i've had students tell me several times oh yeah we didn't come to school because we were deer hunting there's a grocery store down the street from the school why why are we missing class but that is the culture and so i had to learn to adjust to what i had to acknowledge what was you know i just couldn't come in there with my ideals and change it i had to acknowledge this is what it is and I had to figure out how to shift their thinking
3: mm-hmm. about
0: what what was important. And that's still a struggle because those are big things. You know, Mardi Gras is, you know, a major event where I am. And, you know, the government shuts down on Fat Tuesday and kids don't do any assignments. They don't study because they have to ride Um, From Mobile to where my school is, um, it's about 45 minutes away. um, It's like an experience, you know, when they come to the city. So, you know, we have to allot for those things. And um, it's just very different. Um, Even the drive between watching kids who were avoiding gunfire on the way to school in Detroit um, to kids who are, you know, they might not have power on um, or have running water or, um, you know, be in some cases trying to raise themselves. And that, I think that's, you know, a national thing, Um, but it looks different. And so until you know what it looks like, you know, you can't address it and figure out how to deal with it. So I'm still adjusting. This is year seven at this um, school, and I'm still adjusting to their norms because they aren't mine yet.
2: So in those seven years, has that community, that town, has there been some civic engagement or some type of community development? Are you seeing businesses pouring more or is it still the same from seven years ago?
0: It is essentially um, the same with regards to their economic status. Okay. Um, the population is, uh, it it's transient. You know, people move from Tennessee, Georgia, Mississippi, Florida, and it's a continual in and out. Sometimes the same people, sometimes new. Um, What I can say with regards to our particular school, our principal has been um, very hands on and um, engaged in the community, reaching out creating um, opportunities for parents to step into our world and not feel um, less than or intimidated. Uh, you know, that's sometimes an issue where parents who may not have education um, don't feel comfortable coming into the school and talking with teachers right. about what's going on with their student. You know, they'll talk to you about behavior, but academically, a lot of them cannot assist them right. or don't know how to assist them. And so he's been um, very instrumental in creating, um, avenues for that so that we have more of our parents now, um, this is his fourth year. So within the last three years, a lot of parents have started to feel more comfortable coming in, um, talking to teachers, coming to our, um, school events outside of athletics. So it's been nice to see that. Um, it's been nice to have parents ask you, um, what do they have for homework? Do they have homework? And that's right. a question, you know, that makes a teacher's heart just burst with joy for a parent Absolutely. to be in concern. So I have seen that um, happen within our walls and hearing parents talk outside of our school about what's taking place. Um, so even though the community um, in that particular area is not growing, there are things that are happening. We do have... Um, a movement for stem okay and good. we do have um some companies uh we have a steel mill out that way which is maybe about another 30 minutes from where we are mm-hmm. and they are investing good um in our schools to good. push stem so um every year we have a summer program a stem camp and that is uh paid for by one of the companies out there because they want our students to be in a position to transition into positions that are available um, within their company. So um, we've it. been very, this is our, this will be our third year with that. So we're very excited about, about um, encouraging students to go in and then for them to see that, you know, you can get a job where, yeah, playing video games does have, it, there's a benefit, but there it's on the other side. You know, so um, it's been it's been very exciting to see students think about the things that they're already doing um, as possible job opportunities in the future and to be able to provide that income for their families. When um, we have so many of them whose parents um, don't have those types of jobs Mm -hmm. or, you know, would never, you know, we have kids coming out of our high school, which is right down the street that are coming out at 24 and $30 an hour because that um, company has partnered with our middle school, our elementary school and our high school.
2: So Beautiful. that's
0: been very exciting.
2: Yeah. I love to see that parallel, that connection between, you know, companies there locally uh, and actually schools. I, I've always felt, I've always argued that should be the case. I was blessed growing up in Milwaukee to attend a high school that had a co-op program. So, uh, during my part of my junior and my senior year, um, I would go to school, uh, mm-hmm. pretty much up until about, I guess, like lunchtime. So about 10 30 ish. And, mm-hmm. uh, then I'd spend the rest of the day, uh, actually at work. Um, and I worked at a bank. So that, taught me at a very young age how to be, you know, responsible and uh, punctual and uh, really start adopting and uh, those, those professional traits that we want our kids to have, you know. Just something simple as, you know, uh, showing mannerisms and being able to, you know, look someone in the eyes and shake their hand and, you know, being able to tie a tie, you know, those, just the very simple things. Um, so that's right. a fabulous program. You said you guys are going into year three? For stem yes okay yes. and let me see i think this might be year four or five for us with stem uh, i'm not sure if we have a hundred percent backing um yet but i know we do have some support from fedex with us being in the memphis area um mm-hmm. because i know what eighth grade they deal with advanced robotics um yeah. and i know fedex is very interested in that technology um also, the uh, what is it, the blockchain technology, which, you know, a, a lot of the crypto is built on. Um, mm-hmm. They are starting to in, trying to integrate that into programming um, as well. And I think seventh grade starts off with, with that. We're actually being able to code and program uh, the actual robots. And then eighth grade, they take it to another level with advanced robotics. I'm not really sure what sixth grade STEM works on, but I'd have to think it'd be like some type of foundation for all of that. So Mm
3: -hmm.
2: awesome program. Awesome. Awesome. Um, You also mentioned that you used to work at a charter school. Um, (laughs) I almost don't want to talk about this, but (laughs) what was, (laughs) what was your experience at your charter school? Um, How long were you there? You don't, and you don't have to name the charter school, but how long were you there?
0: I was there for four years. That was my first official, Um, certified teaching position. I had been working in education, but I wasn't certified. Um, I loved it. You know, I know that, you know, it doesn't matter charter or public, it could go either way. I loved it. I had an amazing principal. Um, The school was 100% African-American student population. Um, We had a very diverse Uh, faculty, which I think was amazing because the world doesn't just look like you. Um, But we were all on the same page in trying to make sure that our students had what they needed outside of education. You know, we we were like the one-stop community shop. Um, And it was because of our principal. And um, her job was solely to ensure that the, the faculty was doing their job and to make sure that our babies were taken care of. And then we had a dean of education, which focused on making sure that the teachers were following that curriculum and we were providing the supports um, necessary for our students. And so, you know, um, and then we, we, because we didn't do assistant principals at that particular school. Mm-hmm. Um, the days were, you know, just as long for any other teacher. But um, some things that I saw at that particular school that um, I think helped create the culture were, um, you know, once a week. It didn't matter whether how the teachers felt about it. There was an assembly to talk to our students about things that were current in their world, bullying, um, because at, at that time, that's when the suicides um, with the children started becoming a a noticeable thing. It started making the news. Um, so we started addressing that. Um, we talked about, uh, the sexting because we had issues come up in our school where before the laws changed, parents were being removed from homes because, you know, parents had the cell phones in their names right. and you don't know necessarily what your children are doing. We had an incident where, um, one student sent a picture of her top to a boy Mm. And it became an issue. And rather than creating a culture of fear, um, the police department, um, the local police department worked with our school to talk with our children about what that actually meant and what the repercussions were. Um, we also had after school activities um, called, which I don't think is um, unique just to start that particular school, uh, sister to sister, where we um, talk to the girls about every issue that could possibly be facing them in their, in their world. You know, we didn't do, uh, like etiquette, you know, when you go to a ball, we didn't do that. Um, we were working our way to that, but we had to address the issues that they were dealing with as young ladies there. Um, for our gentlemen, we had, um, men, mentors that would come in and teach them, you know, about how to be a man, what that looks like, because, you know, uh, in some a lot of urban areas and it's you know it's not like it's just unique really to African American children but fathers are not present all the time you know right. so we created that that village and um our kids treated our house you know our school like it was family and so I loved that and that made my job easier and Um, Our teams were cohesive and we were all about making sure that we were all on the same page, which created um, a culture of hope for our students. And if they didn't do well, they were trying to figure out what do I need to do better academically Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and behavior wise. And of course, you can't say them all, but we saw, you know, it it shouldn't be about test scores, but the test scores always come up. We saw test scores increase. We saw um, academic progress. Uh, we saw students seeking out help on their own. We saw them bringing their parents in to showcase what they were doing. We saw we saw our kids bringing the community in, and that that's very different because usually you're trying to figure out what do we need to do. And so um, I love my charter school. I you know I'm not even focusing on the management of it because that's a whole different thing. Right. Um. But with regard to what was happening in there, it was amazing. And I know people feel different ways about charter schools and funding. Um, At the end of the day, having worked on both sides, I think it's about what are you doing for the kids? Because if you're getting funding from whomever and you're not doing anything with it and there's not a positive outcome for the students, you might as well not have the money at all. So, you know, me sitting down with a student um, If I get my paycheck, that has nothing to do with how many laptops I have in the computer in my classroom or how much paper I have to give to them. Sitting down with a student has nothing to do with the funding. Right. Them being connected to you has nothing to do with the funding. You know, that's something that you can't purchase. And so that was that was the beauty of that school. And um, I appreciate those years because um, it prepared me to you know to figure out how to connect with students when i had the culture shock of coming here right so i'm sorry if that was long-winded
2: oh no you're good you're good um and 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 when you were at the charter school what grade or grades did you teach and subject
0: i taught seventh and eighth grade um english funny my first year i was uh, i was hired in but they would do co-teaching true co-teaching um and I would be, I was considered a guest. They called me a guest teacher because I didn't have my own classroom. And so I would do um, intervention and I would go in. Uh, I was doing like base math skills. Even though I'm ELA, I was helping them with just supplementary skills, uh, vocabulary. And then I started co-teaching seventh grade um, with one of the teachers, um, English language arts. And um, my last two years there, I did eighth grade. Uh, language arts.
2: Okay. okay. And um, fast forward to what you're doing now. Is there any particular curriculum that you are utilizing um, in the state of Alabama for eighth grade English?
0: We have um, our district um, uses, We're, you know, we're on Common Core and then mm-hmm. Alabama has its own um, standards intertwined. And then our district um, works on determining exactly what standards we are required to cover. Um, they use basic, I shouldn't say basic, but basic um, ELA text um, that's intertwined with that. And then our so- our software probably speaks more to where they start to become uh, more defined, I shouldn't say software, our technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we use a program called Edgenuity. um Have you heard of that? It sounds familiar it's um it's e l a based and it's um videos and it allows the students to kind of move at their own pace um where it's standards driven and we use that for our intervention um and then when you go into our schools um while we are following that curriculum with a recommended pacing guide um mm-hmm. And we are now, um, you know, being asked or encouraged to increase our technology use. Um, our particular school is using um, a few programs. We use ReadWorks, which um, yeah, we use for works. differentiation. Okay. Uh, and uh, there's a program called Mobymax.
2: I know Mobymax. Mobymax is good. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, um, we use that for the for the data. And it's not about the data, but, you know, at the end of the day, they want to know what are you doing? We know that you're teaching whatever the standard is. How do you know that they've gotten it? Uh, What if they don't get it? And so um, that program actually allows us to um, pull data um, that makes sense instead of a teacher sitting there trying to figure out who passed the test, who didn't pass the test. Let me make a graph. Um, So, yeah, it's, it's centered all around um, Common Core, but then Alabama's standards are intertwined in there, and we just pull from that and try to use technology to help us um, reach where we're not able to in the classroom.
2: Um, two quick things. So, Mobymax, I love Mobymax. Our school district, um, we use Mobymax for maybe three years, um, mm-hmm. th- three or four years. Last year, we stopped. Um, and we don't have it this year but somehow i'm still able to log in and access um all of the lessons and everything which is great um mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's going to expire on me so i need to double check that <laughs> but <laughs> i love Mobymax because it takes a standard you know like you said common core standard and ela and mm-hmm. it breaks it down i mean it breaks it down in ways that you know collaborating with my peers And, you know, you try to figure out what prerequisite skills is this standard requiring. If you go to MobiMax, it will show you. Um, and it will show you details of the standard that maybe you and your peers didn't consider. At least that's been mm-hmm. my experience. Um, so I, I do like Moby Max. I do think some of the lessons are extremely lengthy though. Um mm-hmm. but I'm the type of teacher where I rather slow down. I mean a pacing guide is nice, but I'd rather slow it down. And if we don't mm-hmm. get everything finished in that one class period, I kinda shrug my shoulders and say, I don't care. We'll continue tomorrow. You know. Um exactly. because for me, the rigor and going in depth and making sure the kids have a thorough understanding and not just service, surface understanding, excuse me, that mm-hmm. means so much more um, to me in the progress and performance of my students than, yes. oh, did you teach this standard and did you guys cover this? Anytime I hear the verbiage cover, that means that there's not real teaching and learning going on. Like, I understand <laughs> what people are saying, but it's like, I'm not trying to cover, you know, 15 standards before we go to fall Break. If we, right. you know, if we focus on the foundation of ELA, which is, you know, thinking of common core, those first three, arguably maybe those first four standards mm-hmm. and reading literature and reading informational text, mm-hmm. if you can get your kids to do that by fall break. Uh, trust me, they will be fine come, you know, <laughs> state assessment. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever state you're in. They will right. be more than fine. Cause if I got mm-hmm. a kid who can cite textual evidence, they know what theme is, they know what central idea is, they know how mm-hmm. to find them, they know how to analyze their development,
3: mm-hmm.
2: we're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're better than good. Because mm-hmm. most kids can't do that because they've got teachers in front of them and you know, Lord bless their heart, they're probably really good teachers, but sometimes you just don't know until you know that you just can't cover standards. Like you got to make sure these kids really thoroughly understand it. And you have to be able to assess them in multiple ways, not just Mm say multiple choice tests, you know, make your kids write. You know, I I, I encourage my kids to write every single day, even if it's just a short constructive response, even if it's just in their journal and it's a reflection, I need my kids thinking in written expression every Mm -hmm. single day. Um, Yes. So, yeah, so I, I do. I love Max. Um And the second thing I was going to ask you about your standards, are they that much different from Common Core? or Is it just the verbiage and some slight differences?
0: The verbiage is a little different. Okay. Um, we we learn. Well, I shouldn't say that. Um, and looking at, um, you know, ours, you know, when you do state testing and you can pull the data and it will for the one that we use, it allows us to look at the standards that the students are not getting, which is much more helpful than you didn't understand key ideas and details. I don't know what that means until you give me some specific focus on that. Right. Um, so in us being able to look at the standards that they're being tested on, um, we see that we were looking at it and we're like, what is this? And it's the Alabama standard, which doesn't have you know your r l point eight point one a um and and so it's almost like it's almost like a conversational standard, so when you read it 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 doesn't appear as um as formal and so it's just a little lax in the language but it it's their standard nevertheless
2: and from the uh, department of education in alabama do you feel like you've had as an educator the support you need um and although we don't want to teach to the test we do know that you know that data is important and it you know it's important because a lot of decisions um as 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 far as um human capital you know hr uh, is right. concerned is made mm-hmm. based on and what programs are uh, implemented and what type of funding is available, or what grants right. might be available, is based on that data. Because when you're dealing with politicians and those who have never actually been in the classroom, um, they have to have something tangible to hold on to. Mm-hmm. And uh, education has slowly but surely uh, moved its way into being an actual industry. It's a business, um, and so anytime you're dealing with business, they're going to look at the numbers and make decisions based on those numbers. Um, do you feel like you've got the support as far as being able to uh, effectively teach to the test? and I hate to call it that, but to some extent, I think we all have to um, teach to the test even though that's not what we aim for.
0: Yes, um everything that you said is true, and it is I think it's that um that knife in the back to teachers, yeah, because when you're in the classroom, you don't see. Capita, you see life. Right. You see babies trying to figure out a whole lot before you start writing on the board what we're covering today. Um, and so I, you know, I guess I've just been very blessed in um, where I've been positioned. We literally just had a conversation about this um, with my department, um, our principal, and our counselor, talking about this testing and, you know, what. Is required and you know what is the data going to say and um, our first order of business is always teach your kids
3: Right.
0: make sure that they have what they need because you cannot ask them to you know show so much growth if you haven't done the base work you know and I I know it's not um, just unique to our district or our school your kids come and they're deficient You know, in areas that you feel like, well, you should have learned this five years ago or four years ago. Yeah. And you can harp on it all day, but it doesn't change the fact that they don't know it. And so um, while we are required to give this data at the end, um, you know, our our school has been very proactive in creating. I guess I. Our goal is the kids, but our principal is I don't I don't know if we think he's magic. He's done a very good job at creating a safe place for the teachers to feel like, "Listen, this is what we have to do. This test is coming. Right. We have to have the data. The goal is to make sure that our students are progressing and making gains." However, we have to be realistic in our approach to it. You know, you can't get the data and then say, we have to cover 27 standards by Christmas, <laughs> and you have to, you know, you guys have to, you have to give me 250 point, get no, because you're gonna scare them to death. And his his focus has always been figure out what your kids need, use the data to help you do that, and be realistic about what you can do. If you have 150 kids, you can't expect all 150 to knock it off the charge. You have to give them all the support that they need, encourage them, um, you know, to do their best in the classroom because the test is coming no matter what. But the classroom, you know, is every day. Um, So provide that support for them. um, Work with your team to figure out best practices, things that are working for them. Um, Don't try to kill yourself trying to get them there because when they leave here, you know, the test doesn't stop them from going to the next grade. Right. Will they be ready? Will right. they have what they need for the next quarter when you have to raise the standard, when you have to increase the rigor? So, um, we get that support in our school, and we do use the data to drive our instruction, but we do not use that or look at that data, I should say, um, as, as a nail in the coffin, you know, because sometimes the expectation is unrealistic and we acknowledge what it is but we he always tells us you have to do what you can do. I expect you to do your best. And we're going to talk about, you know, some methods. Um but don't don't get anxiety and pass that on to your students about this test because it's a test. It means something, but at the end of the day, they leave you. Right. And that test is just sitting there and then they take another test, you know. So, um he's been amazing at helping us figure out how to use that data to drive our instruction Mm -hmm. on a daily basis, as opposed to just the test. Because if you're using the data to help you figure out what you need to teach, Mm -hmm. then you're not necessarily teaching just to the test. You're teaching to the expectations of your grade levels um, curriculum.
2: Right. Right. Definitely. Um, So let me ask you that. And I'm so glad you said that. And you sound like you have a great uh, leader at your school who. Um, has a really good perspective, uh, much better than most principals that uh, I've, I've I've met or or heard about. But nevertheless, um, I almost forgot my question there. I think I did. Ah, it was a good one too. I'll, it'll, it'll I'll come remember. Back. It'll come back to me. Yeah, it'll come back to me. Um, but let's let's fast forward a little bit here. So you are also in a doctorate program. Is that correct? You're working on your EDD. Yes. What is the motivation behind your EDD? What are you aiming to do with that? And how's your experience been in doctorate school or doctoral school?
0: Um, so I, I, when I got my master's, that was my path to getting certified um, because I already had a bachelor's in English. And um, I like education, um, but my principal at the charter school I just thought she was amazing. And I saw how she got us to do things um, that, you know, I probably wouldn't have, you know, if she if if her delivery of it had been different. Um, And I saw her. Trying to change the lives of the students and changing the mindset of the teachers. And I'm like that, that is amazing and that is powerful um, in itself and she didn't carry herself in an arrogant way. She was she was one of us, but she always told everybody in that school from the top to the bottom, um, there's more in you, and I would like to see you you know, tap into that potential. And I just felt like I could do more um, to be effective. And then um, I started my doctoral program before I came here to Alabama, and the goal was to inspire teachers um, and change how students were being taught because I I know what that feels like you feel um, defeated, you feel overwhelmed, you feel insignificant, you feel inefficient and I w- I wanted to be one of those people that you know provided the light to the teachers because if the teachers feel inspired and encouraged and they feel as possible, then you see that trickle over into the students.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I have, you know, one class left with that. And I had to put it on hold because I started another program. But um, ultimately, I would like to be um, a principal. I didn't know that I wanted that really um, until last year. I just I was like, I could do an assistant principal and work with teachers at curriculum. But then I got this new principal and another light. I've just been um, blessed in that aspect. And so I want to do that um, here in the States for a while, but um, then I want to go overseas and see how education happens mm. in other countries. I think um, I think there's a deficiency in our country about what it really means to educate a student. Agreed. Um, and there's not a hunger for it here. And that is sad. And when you watch television and hear about, you know, kids walking through war zones to get to school or schools where kids are doing amazing and they're not stressed about tests, I would like to know what that is. And I believe that um, it has to be transferable. It can't just be isolated to a particular, you know, continent or country. So um, I'm always fascinated by how people learn and, you um, I want to be able to get some of that and bring that back um, here and share that with principals and with teachers, um, so that they can continue to do, you know, the hard work um, of getting our kids educated. The numbers are the numbers, but they need a base education. I don't care what your job is, you know, you you need a base education because thinking is an everyday occurrence in life. Yes. And, I'm sure that you can attest to the fact that sometimes you come across a kid who doesn't and it sounds ridiculous, but they don't know how to think, you know, they cannot rationalize. And so we talk about making good choices. Well, good choices does have to do with the maturing of your brain, but it also has to do with how you process the information. And if they're not being taught how to think, not what to think, but how to think, um, then they're going to be, you know, at a deficiency in every walk of their life. You know, if they get a high school diploma, once they get a job, you know, we have to make decisions every day right. about what to do, what to say when you're at work, what to wear, mm-hmm. you know, and we're in, we're all inundated with, you know, things in front of our faces, but if you don't know how to process the thinking, you know, or the best, the best tools, the best strategies, the best words, Um, it's all for nothing. And so I think um, if I can bring some of what goes on in other places back and um, implement that into instructional practice, I think um, that it could really be um, a a positive as, as opposed to, you know, America just having its own standards. Because um, in all honesty, it's not working so well, and that's not my thoughts. That's facts I mean you can pull up where we are right um, in the world with education. We're, we're pretty, not at the top.
2: We're pretty low. Yeah,
0: yes in yeah. um, Alabama is even lower and so that concerns me greatly because um, I See these kids and they're not they're they're not dumb, you know, they're not incapable of learning they just lack the resources and the tools, in some cases, um, to get to the next level. And I think that's in every classroom. So I, I just, I don't want us as a country, my district, my state, to continually be at the low end of the totem pole, so to speak.
2: Right. I always say, and I always say, status quo is not working. I don't care what the status quo is. It's not working. Right? <laughs> it's exactly. not working. We can definitely improve yeah. it 24-7 mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I was going to ask you something about the doctor program. Yeah, what's your uh, – do you have a dissertation topic yet?
0: Uh, well, I did. Um, when I got here, I was working on it, and it was about um, – Teacher efficacy being affected through student or school district and university partnerships, but that changed. <laughs> so now my focus um, or my question really uh, is about diversity in education, and I don't mean like you know various students or you know from different backgrounds or even ethnic groups for teachers. I mean. Um, we have all these trainings and I'm sure you have experienced this where they talk to us about diversity and poverty and socioeconomics and you get all that stuff and then you go to work mm-hmm. and you're asked to consider these things and I see examples every day and I have for the last uh, 15 years where I don't see it being considered when you're instructing um and so you're, you're not using your diversity training. You're not considering the diversity and I'm not talking about skin color. I'm talking about perhaps you were raised in a middle-class family and you don't even know what it means to have the lights off unless your mother turned them off right. as opposed to kids who go home and they're in the dark because there is no power every day right. or not able to take a bath or not living, um, in a house, right. you know, um, and I'm not necessarily talking about homeless. There there is a level in, in working in a rural area, you learn that there are levels before homelessness that you didn't even know existed. Yeah, I've
2: got um you know. I've got students who live in the local motels and hotels in Millington. Um, and I know, I know for sure that they live there. So I guess that'd be technically homeless, um, because they don't have an address where you can, you know, send things home to, um, per se. I've got kids who actually right next to Walmart in Millington, uh, there's a a trailer park. Um, Mm -hmm. and some of these trailers are not in the best of conditions. I've heard Mm -hmm. of kids sleeping on different, you know, people's couches and floors, um, I've heard of kids sleeping in their parents' cars or vans. Um, So I I 100% agree with you there. Like there is different levels to homelessness and different conditions that our kids are going through that, um, you know, yeah, like you said, you go through these these culturally sensitive or diversity trainings. And are we really prepared or do we really know how to implement that training when it deals with socioeconomics? And I'd argue we probably do not.
0: Yeah, and and that that is concerning to me. Um and you know, with myself included, because I had to do a self check. Do I think about, you know, the fact that this particular kid um didn't sleep anywhere last night? Right. Literally did not sleep anywhere, or they haven't eaten or um they're angry because their clothes haven't been washed. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and they're being made fun of. I mean, there are so many levels of it. And then even looking at uh, the faculty, you know, does your, does the administration, does the district consider those, um, the backgrounds? And I, and I know that, you know, there's lots of red tape about that, but do you consider that in placement of, um, of teachers, you know, um, I've I've had conversations with several people over, over the years um, about how a position is filled or why a position is filled, and you know I don't know the truth behind it, but it does leave one to question what is truly considered when you place a administrator or a teacher in a position, and um, does that filter into what you're considering, what, what you want for your students. And are they able to consider those, those things? You know, um, I I'm, I'm an urban girl. I am used to lots of noise and my parents, you know, have always been middle-class. I had to adjust my thinking with rule because I was in Detroit. So I understood what that was. I didn't live that life with, you know, kids living in, you know, around gunshots and moving every six months, but You know, there's always, you know, I got a family member who lives, you know, wherever or you're exposed to it. I didn't know what this was. And so I've had to change my thinking, Mm -hmm. which has changed how effective I am in the classroom. And so I don't necessarily have an answer. I'm interested more in. Is that something that we as educators consider? Because in schools where it is considered, I'll just use as an example. I mean, the Ron Clark Academy is not a secret. If you are in education, you know about that school. Those kids do well. Mm-hmm. You know, their test scores speak for themselves. Um, they have the same kind of kids coming in and out that most of us do. Kids with problems, kids who don't have problems, kids with parents, kids who don't have parents, you know, socioeconomic issues. But something transforms in that school. There is an expectation, you know, of what, what we need to do to reach the kids, what we won't focus on. Um, what's important. And so when I see that, I'm like that, it works. It doesn't necessarily have to be your cup of tea, but it works. And then I see other things and um, it just concerns me that diversity is just something that we pay, we have paid for, for trainings, but we don't see it or they only consider it with skin color. Well, you know, it, it goes a lot deeper than that, a lot deeper.
2: Totally agree. Um, So what's one thing that really upsets you or motivates you as a Black educator in 2018? What is something that you see that needs to be addressed as far as Black educators are concerned?
0: I would like to see, and and it's concerning um, because of the things that I've heard um, from parents, but I would love to see more Black male educators outside of the positions of football
2: coaches yeah it and always I, it, <laughs> I, get, I, I get i get called <laughs> i get called coach so many times even by my sense uh assistant principal and i say what do i coach <laughs> reading comprehension hmm? academic <laughs> writing what exactly do i coach so in that <laughs> sense yeah i do co- but i don't coach a sport never have probably never will because of the time commitment and I'm just not that interested in it, but yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. But yeah, I, okay. I don't, I'm it a black right. man. Yeah. Um, I'm not a coach. I, I'm a teacher, an educator, right. a highly effective it's, it's, one.
0: <laughs> it's funny and we laugh um, and it seems so um, minute, but um, I've been, I've been teaching 17 years and off the top of my head in the classroom, I'm just talking about in the classroom, not talking about coaching, I can only recall two black male teachers in the classroom, two. Wow. Um, And that bothers me because if you are in a metropolitan city, Chicago, Memphis, Nashville, Miami, Atlanta, there are a lot of black boys and they all have a black mama or a black Grandmother, and so we're not we're not lacking in that area in the classroom. They don't have anyone that looks like them, and if they don't make the football team or the basketball team, they don't get that that presence in their lives, Uh, and that is concerning to me. I saw um, (laughs) went to a conference and met a black male kindergarten teacher, and I almost fell over um, (laughs) from shock and excitement at the same time. And he shared that, you know, people um had concerns because they felt like if he's a male and he's teaching kindergarten, then mm-hmm. he must have some some secret issues.
2: Mm-hmm. Michael you know, Jackson and I, hmm? Oh, I'm sorry. I said Michael Jackson. Continue.
0: <laughs> I, yeah. You know, and I that was offensive. And and so I said in and, and my, my brother um you know, said that if he became a teacher that he would want to teach like K-5. And I'm like, why don't you just do it? And he gave me this look and I knew what it was. We didn't right. speak it, but I knew what it was. And and I said to him, I said, that's so sad because how many of those kids who go home and they don't have a father will be more excited to come to school because they're like, oh, you know, Mr. So-and-so said I was pretty yesterday or he told me I was smart or right. he told me I did great to get it from someone else, to get it from someone who's la- who's a who's a missing um piece in your life or they look like you. You know, my son used to tell me all the time when he was little, um, because he had a single parent home, I want somebody that looks like me. That that mm. spoke volumes to me because I'm in the classroom. And I'm like, this is my kid. You know, he has the village. Um he had a father who was not in the class in the in the home but, um, he wanted somebody on a daily basis that looked like him, and I thought, if my kid thinks like that, right. what is going on with the hundred and something kids that i that come across me every day and so mm. that that bothers me. um when I was in Michigan, one of the colleges up there had a program um where they were asking for um, black males to attend their education program through an alternative certification program because they were lacking and giving them extended time. There were scholarships that were available. And um, that program did well for the time that it was up. But then I found out recently since I've been here that that school um, is no more. Um, wow. So that's concerning. uh because it was, an, it was an available, a viable option for people who maybe thought, you know, I could maybe teach. Right. You know, it, right. it's a hard job, but it's not an impossible job. No. If you feel like you can teach, then you probably should be teaching that. Maybe I'll teach today. You know, <laughs> but if, if, you, if you feel drawn to it, that's probably the thing. And I don't like the stigma that's attached to it for black males. Mm-hmm. I do not like that. I go to conferences every year, two or three times a year, and I can count um, the black men with both of my hands. And there's usually five or six hundred people there. And I can just use both of my hands. And and that is very sad. That that really does. Pierce me um, when I think about, you know, an issue in as a black educator that that part is lacking
2: yeah I recently uh tweeted out i wish <laughs> I wish I work with more guys <laughs> and I didn't mean that to be offensive, but i just I kind of isolate myself sometimes um because it's me and it's another uh male teacher uh there actually african american teacher there there's two of us uh in an entire district. An entire Mm. district who just actually just teach and don't coach. There's Mm -hmm. just two of us, including myself. Wow. Um, Yeah. An entire district. And there are other African-Americans in the classroom. um, But like you said, they're either a PE teacher um, or they're a coach. Um, One of my assistant principals, Dr. Gordon, um, really good administrator, really good person overall. Um, He's African-American. Um, And that's it. So it's three of us in the building. Overall, it's just educators, two in the classroom who uh, do not teach. And, you know, sometimes I recognize like on my hall um, and previous halls that I've been on, whether seventh grade or sixth grade hall. um, It's just with all of the women, like sometimes like there's like cattiness there. And I'm just I'm not there for that. Right. Like the objective is kids. So I just like if somebody's like got some little drama going on, I don't want to deal with that. Like, I don't I don't deal with that at all. I just mm-hmm. close my door and teach to the best of my ability and just leave it at that. But yeah, I do wish that um, when I go to conferences, when I go to professional developments off campus, um, I also have been doing some work with the state uh, down in Nashville. And uh, when I'm down there, you know, I'm not doing this intentionally, um, but I will count. And I will look and see how many African-Americans are in here. And... Yes. You know, usually on one finger and, and it's and it's in, oh, not one finger, one hand. And it, it's me. Right. And then mm-hmm. I see four women or maybe I can go to my second hand. I see six or seven black women. And then there's me and I'm looking for another guy and I'm looking for another guy. Wait, I see a guy in the suit. Oh, nope. He's here for a different conference. He's not an educator. And so it it saddens me sometimes because I feel like I don't have anyone to connect to. It's one of my motivations. I actually starting the podcast is to, you know, try to bring in, you know, more of this community for all Black educators, but also for males as well, too. Black educators who are males as well, too. Now, I'll be honest, on this show, um, I've only had one Black male guest. One. Wow. Now, that doesn't mean that there has, you know, I haven't had conversations with more um, mm-hmm. but we haven't been able to, you know, make schedules align yet, but I, I've only had one officially, um, who was William. And I think that was, uh, episode two or three. Um, so yeah, that, that's telling. And, you know, you look at the statistics, African-American males were less than 2%, uh, across the country in the classroom. Um, I bet that number is even lower if we say, okay, who just teaches a core academic subject and you do not coach anything that number is mm-hmm. even less, Um, And it's not to downplay or discredit coaches who are African-American males, but it's a different level of focus when you're a science teacher, an English teacher, a math teacher, a social studies teacher, and that's what you focus on, Um, not the basketball team, not the football team, nothing wrong with that, sports is important, but academically, um, I do feel like it's very important. Personally, I do feel it's very important through observational learning that kids get the opportunity to see a strong black male um, using their brain, uh, you know, using their brain in front of them, you know, those think alouds, those read alouds, those that questioning, and really saying like, wow, like this is this is possible, this is capable, even if you know, a black boy doesn't want to become a teacher as he grows up. At least he gets the opportunity to see okay we can do intellectual things we don't always have to Mm -hmm. catch or throw a ball or you know we don't always have to you know run down a a field like we can actually make a living working with our mind um right and so i think that's a beautiful thing and i'm grateful that you shared that you know about your about your own son um is that he wanted you know a black male representing his class representation matters it really really matters So, um, yeah, that's amazing. Um, so let me ask you this last thing I'll ask you.
3: I'm going through the permission slips. Jamarcus, do you have a chaperone? You got no chaperone, you stand right here at the school. I'm not dealing with that this year. The cafeteria don't have enough lunches. If your parents meet at the field trip, they gonna have to pay their own way. We ain't got it. Marlon, did you sign this permission slip? So your mama's scribbling her signature in crayon now. You can't even cheat right. How you gonna sign and spell your name wrong? It's the real zoo right here. Mr. Brown, Yeah. the principal wanted to know if you can drive your own car to the field trip because she didn't get enough buses. I'm just happy to be leaving campus, Jadarius. You must be crazy if you think I'm gonna let you go on this field trip. Why your permission to slip even in here? This is not a test run. You don't need to go outside. Cause you act bad as all outside in here. Two of y'all go to the cafeteria get them lunches. Get to the zoo. If anybody missing, we sure gonna miss you. Please leave your bad conduct at this school. Cause where you act a fool, is where i am going act a fool. Please don't feed the animals. Tony, last time you gave the ducks taki, son. Now we got a duck running around the zoo with high blood pressure now, cause of you. They got little kittens. They can't process that processed food. Please don't act like y'all normally act. And hey, when I call y'all name, do like Spike Lee and get on. The bus, line up for picture. I don't even know why we going to the zoo because there's a jungle in here. What's one
2: recommendation? Um that could be a movie, a documentary, a TV show, a book, a poem, a scripture, anything, whatever you have. What's one recommendation you'd have for black educators listening?
3: Hmm. Oh my gosh.
0: Hmm. be your truth, that, that I would say that, be your truth. I think um, sometimes when we walk in, um, there are stereotypes attached to us as black educators. Sometimes we make the assumption that the stereotypes are there. Um, we feel certain types of pressure, um, And I think that has to do with, you know, sometimes having feeling like we have to work harder or prove ourselves. And then you become something that you're not. And it affects your ability to do what you do well. Um, Being who you are is the easiest thing in the world to do. And when you walk into the classroom, students appreciate authenticity because they can smell a lie a mile away. And if you want to connect, if you want to be effective, um, and sometimes just the relationship is, you know, what some kids need, um, you need to be who you are and not feel pressured or afraid to excel as a Black educator, as opposed to trying to fit the status quo. Um, I've learned that, and I've been so much happier the last couple of years and just you know, being my true self and it's not it means that sometimes I don't conjugate the verbs when I'm addressing my students because I need them to get the gist of what I'm trying to say to say. Um sometimes it means that um my delivery is not as polished as it should be. Um but my end result is always on point. And so <laughs> um I, I think I, I think sometimes you know the, the cosmetic part Uh, you know, fitting, you know, you want to fit in, you can, you can fit in and stand out at the same time. Um, and I think you have to just, you just have to be your truth and that it was harder for me not to do that. And so I feel so much better now that I can just, you know, I am the black teacher. There are three, four of us at our school. Um, and we've kind of embraced that. You know, we're the black teachers. You can see, you can see that we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is how we are. We're not. We're not all. I hate to say this on this show. We're not all, you know, displaying ghetto um, antics on the side, and we're not. Um, we're not all proper at the same time. But we do know how to conjugate verbs, you know, and and speak. Formally, um, but it's not always necessary to do what you need to do in the classroom because I don't come there, you know, to make friends. I I enjoy the people that I work with, but I come to, to get those kids to the next level. Mm-hmm. You know, if they pass the test, that's great, but um, you know that should be everybody's goal. And if if your goal is to teach children, then you have to be your truth because that's what we're asking them to be. We're asking them to be who they are, and and and. You know, not be afraid to seek out their dreams, and you can't come in there being somebody else and expect to be effective. So be your truth, black educators. Just walk, walk in who you are and embrace that on a daily basis. And people have to respect who you are. They just have to respect that's what it is. They don't necessarily have to like it, but they really do um, respect when you're just being your true self.
3: What can I say?
1: Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, Sometimes, go to blackscholarspublishing.com.
3: You just gotta go. You will never know you can ever be. If you never try. you will never see. State in Africa, we ain't never leave. So one no slaves in our history, one no slave ships, one no misery. Call me crazy, or isn't he? See how fellas i so